Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 to 17. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 to 17. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness, when I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report, to, report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So last time we, we left off in uh, chapter 18 there, 1 Samuel, actually I guess it was chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, the battle of David and Goliath. And David knew that God was with him, but not just with him. God was with his people, the people of Israel. The problem was the Israelites forgot that. The Israelites would have been victorious without David if they had just realized and trusted in God. But they trusted in themselves. David came along, trusted in God's ability to protect him and defeats the giant, the warrior, Goliath. Well, after that there in verse in chapter 18 then, Saul resents David. Well, sure, it makes sense. You have this little shepherd boy that goes out and, and defeats this warrior. So he becomes a hero. And this is actually how David and Jonathan become friends. In fact, there at the beginning of chapter 18, it says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So right after this is when David and Jonathan become friends and essentially brothers. Of course, David's a a hero and, and typically the soldiers, the warriors, the heroes... The ladies like to get close to that person. That's still common today. And it was common in his day. So there's a bunch of women that we see in chapter 18 singing praises to David. But they also acknowledge the king. And I don't know exactly how their song goes, but the words go, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed ten thousands. So it probably was like a na-na-na-na-na in King Saul's face. 
Well, obviously King Saul didn't like that very much, so Saul becomes very jealous of David. In fact, he becomes so jealous that in the end, that towards the end of chapter 18, King Saul comes up with a scheme to get rid of David. Remember, David's, David's a hero now. He's, he's a hero. So, King Saul says to David, you know, you're a good warrior. I have some more enemies out there. Why don't you go out and fight some more of these enemies for me? And when you come back, I'll give you my daughter in marriage. This way you are part of the family. David agrees. He says, sure, I'll do whatever the king asks. So he goes out, and of course this was this is one of those battles that you don't return from. But of course David does. So he goes out, he's battling for a while. This isn't just one little fight, he's out there for, for some period of time. And while he's gone, King Saul reneges on his deal, gives his daughter to someone else. So his daughter's married to another man now. Well, David upheld his part of the bargain. He comes back to the king and says, I've defeated your enemies. And he's a little bit surprised then that the king reneged on the deal and gave his daughter in marriage to someone else. Of course, the king is surprised that Saul even came back. It was his plan to get rid of him. But then the king has another daughter. He has his younger daughter as well. And he overhears a conversation between the daughter and someone else and finds out that daughter whose name happens to be Michael that daughter is in love with David. So the king comes up with another plan. He says, you know what? I'm going to send David out again to fight a battle for me and and I'll offer this daughter in marriage to him. This time the king challenges David to go out and kill 100 people and to bring back proof to bring back a souvenir and you can see what that souvenir is in chapter 18. But of course David goes out, doesn't kill 100, he kills 200. Brings back the souvenirs. This time Saul is once again amazed, but he agrees and gives his daughter Michael in marriage to David. So they're married. David and Michael are off living in their own house. King Saul is still upset. He still wants David dead. Put it plainly, he wants David dead. So finally he says, enough of this. I'm just going to send my soldiers over to his house and kill him. Simple as that. So the soldiers arrive at the door. David's wife, Michael, gets word of this and helps David escape. And this is exactly where our scripture then picks up this morning in chapter 20. See, Jonathan and David are friends. But Jonathan is King Saul's son. So, you know, you look at your parents differently than other people see them oftentimes, as parents look at their children differently than the way other people see them. Jonathan doesn't believe that King Saul is out to get David. He doesn't believe that his father wants to kill David. He doesn't believe it. So that's what this conversation is about this morning. David and Jonathan are soul brothers. They love each other. They're loyal to each other. They're devoted to each other. 
They love each other as they love themselves. They're committed to each other. This is a type of friendship that is extremely difficult to find, especially today. Most people are friends with someone to see what they can get out of it. Not necessarily what they can give to the relationship. But not these two people. Not David, not Jonathan. They were dedicated to each other. And and you know, it's interesting to note, as I mentioned, Jonathan is King Saul's son. He's next in line to be king. I mean, that's the way it goes. By rights, Jonathan will be the next king when King Saul dies. But he realizes that God chose David. And, and, and Jonathan isn't jealous of Saul, of uh, David. He's not envious. He's not upset over the facts. Like, hey, you know what? I'm next in line to be the king. He realizes God chose David. And Jonathan simply loves David, supports him, looks after him. He's kind to him. He's, he cares for him. You know, that kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm sure you know this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That really describes the relationship between Jonathan and David. Maybe, or hopefully that describes some of your relationships. In particular, with your spouse. And chances are, this portion of scripture was maybe read at your wedding. Or you've been to a wedding where that scripture was read. Or you've received some type of gift with that scripture on it. It's a very popular one. But typically at a wedding, it's being, being used as a, an emotion, as in a feeling. But that's not what it is. Love is an action. And that's how marriages stay together. Not just an emotional, not just a feeling, not based on looks, because looks change. Looks change. But love is an action. It's a call to action. And we see that action with David and Jonathan. Relationships take work. And you know what? Jonathan's dedication and his friendship, his devotion to David, puts him at odds with his father. And in fact, it even puts his own life at risk several times. And if you were to keep reading there in chapter 20, Saul actually becomes very angry at Jonathan whenever David doesn't show up for the banquet. And the king curses out his son. He accuses his son of shaming the family name for siding with David. And in fact, Saul even acknowledges that David was picked by God to be the next king. And he rubs Jonathan's face in it. He rubs his own son's face in the fact that, hey, you're not going to be the next king. God picked David. And then to top it off, Saul actually picks up his spear and throws it at his son. 
This is all over Jonathan's dedication to David, his loyalty, his friendship. Relationships can be costly. But they had a deep connection there. Relationships take work. There's no doubt about it. It's about doing the right thing for the right reason. You know, maybe you're friendly with your neighbor just because you don't want them to do something stupid like, you know, put up an ugly, ridiculous-looking fence or something like that. So you, you maintain nice, friendly relationships with them. But they're not your, your you know, deep connection with them. But Jonathan had this, Jonathan and David had this type of deep connection. Now, we cannot mistake, and, and some of the, the more liberal uh, places maybe do, that there was absolutely no homosexual type of connotation or connection between these two men. Yes, you, you do read they do kiss, but that was a typical Middle Eastern thing. It was uh, you know, a greeting. This is their relationship is strictly a brotherhood. Uh, it's a type of soul connection. And it's tough to find that. It's very tough to find that today. Uh, some people find it, especially uh, soldiers, uh, people that are in the armed forces, in particular during a combat situation, they rely on that person next to them. And that person next to them saves their life, or they save that person's life. And they have that connection. That's this type of connection. One of the big reasons why Jonathan and David were drawn to each other was the fact that they were both drawn to God. And that's the key in any relationship. And one of the marriage counseling things they tell you is, here's you, here's your spouse, here's God. If you draw yourself closer to your spouse, it's not going to pull you closer to God. If your spouse pulls closer to you, it's not going to pull you closer to God. But if you pull closer to God and your spouse pulls closer to God, it brings you both together. And that was the connection here. They were both servants of God. And they both were serving Him while serving each other. That's true friendship. That's a connection. Most people are out for themselves today. They're not looking to serve others. And when things get tough, things, things don't go their own way, they abandon their friendships. They walk away from them. It's a problem. And it's sad. It's a tough decision to, to make. But eventually, you'll find that friendship if you look for it. And even in marriages, people don't find that friendship today, unfortunately. And I believe that's why marriages fail. They don't look at their spouse as being their friend anymore. They look at everything we can nitpick about them rather than simply being the friend that brought you two together in the first place. And if you look at what Jonathan and David have, that's what we need in our friendships as well. It takes time. It takes work but they're a necessary part of life, without a doubt. Even when you look back at you know, some of the, the, the historical uh, religious people, obviously I went to St. Francis and they uh, you know, taught a lot about St. Francis. You had to learn a lot about him. And it was amazing how he 
he kind of was on his own, uh, you know, doing missionary work and, and things like that, serving God. But he had friends, a few very close friends that helped him. And that made all the difference in the world to him. We don't necessarily have that today. We're a connected society, but we're so detached. You know, we stay in contact with texting, Twitter, and Facebook, and things like that. But we don't have that deep connection, oftentimes, that that many people need. I read one survey that revealed that 7 in 10 people do not know their neighbors. I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. But then I got to thinking about the main drag in Strongstown. From, if you're familiar with 422, from the general store to the church. There are 19 occupied houses. I've lived in Strongstown all my life. There are 19 occupied houses, and I know the families of eight. Less than half of those 19 houses, I know who lives there. I see them, but I don't know who they are, the other people. And out of those eight, out of those eight uh, families that I, that I know who they are, I just know who they are. Just their name. I don't know what they do. I don't know where they work. I just know their names. And that's something, because, like I said, I've lived there 33 years. And uh, you really don't know your neighbors. Obviously, I live back in the woods, but that happens quite a bit. As a society, we are detached. Depression and loneliness is a big problem. They say at least one-third of people struggle with loneliness, especially for elderly people or those that are not able to get out of their homes much. And we are a socially, at times, a socially awkward society. And it's just... It's just strange, you know, when you meet people. Gene and I were at a, a conference yesterday at UPJ, and uh, there was this one uh, young girl there, maybe late teens, early 20s, I'm not sure. She would just walk around, and she would just say hello to everybody. And that, that's great. That's friendly. But there was no conversation. She said hello to me about six times. And the same thing with my wife. She'd just walk up to someone and say, hello. 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 And it was just, it was just bizarre. And I'm friendly. I try to talk. I said, oh, how are you? And, you know, like that was like the second or third time she said hello. I thought, well, she's desperate for conversation. She wants someone to talk to. That's fine. And I said, oh, you know, hello, how are you? And then someone else walked by. So she turned to them and said hello. And then she walked away. And I'm thinking... You know, and, and she seemed like a nice person. It's just, just detached. We don't necessarily have the social skills. And I even talked to some of the people that I work with, that, that, that their children, they don't have the social skills to make friends. Yeah, they text and they Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. But the, the one-on-one FaceTime, the social skills are lacking. And when you lack that, you can't build good relationships. So this week, you know, I would say, look at those relationships that you have. Is there room for improvement? Can you be a better friend to someone? Can you start a new friendship with someone that needs a friend? And you know, 
I heard a pastor once say, you know, he was he was counseling a girl. I don't know if she was going to be, you know, upper high school or if she was young college. I, I don't recall. But the girl said to her, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't have any friends at all. I'm just, a, I'm just an awkward person. I'm like a reject. I have no friends. And the pastor said to this girl, well, are there other rejects in school? You know, it wasn't a politically correct thing to say, but are there other rejects? You know, other social outcasts that no one has anything to do with? She says, oh yeah. Well, why don't you go and be friends with them then? And you know what? That makes sense. Be friends. Be friends with everybody. But can you be a better friend to someone? Can you start a new friendship? Is there someone that needs a friend? Maybe you need to rekindle your relationship with your spouse. Sometimes we get stuck into a rut of doing the same old stuff. And Gene and I had a great time at that conference yesterday. We are both very, just to let you know, we are both conservative, in case you haven't figured that out yet. We are both very conservative. So this, was a, this conference yesterday was a little bit of a stretch for us because it was a green conference. And we're not really into, you know, liberal stuff, let me say. But it was very educational and we both enjoyed it. So step outside your box once in a while. And do something that you normally wouldn't do. We had a great time and we learned a lot. Yeah, there was some stuff that we just kind of rolled our eyes at. Like, oh my goodness, are these people crazy? But there was some very valid, some very interesting points that we learned from this conference. So rekindle relationship with your friends, with your spouse. And maybe, and most important of all, you need to rekindle your relationship with God. That's the key of all. Has your relationship with God slacked off a little bit? Maybe you don't spend as much time in studying His Word or in prayer. But rekindle that relationship with Him. And you know, not all of the relationships that you have are going to turn out like Jonathan and David. Not everyone is going to be your soulmate. Not everyone is going to be your best buddy. But I would recommend, at minimum, it should be your spouse, for sure. But then I believe you should also have another close buddy that has similar ideals to you, similar beliefs as you, as the same gender as you as well. But you know, you'll never know who that might be until you put forth the effort. And that is the call to action this week, to put your love for someone else into action. Put forth uh, effort into a relationship that you have with a friend, with your spouse, and certainly with God. Let us close with a prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for providing this great example of friendship between David and Jonathan. Help us to be more like them in our relationships. Draw us closer to you and place people into our lives that will encourage us along our journey throughout life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.